0: What's up, Browns fans? Welcome in to the latest OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and we are going to talk real quick about a couple things off the rip, which really tied to wide receivers. DK Metcalf appears to seriously be on the market, and um, you know it's it's he's a heck of a football player due for another contract, but uh, I think ESPN had seven different of their local reporters put together trade offers for what the the team that is interested in him could offer Cleveland's Jake Trotter, as Jake was just on the other day, put together a second round pick and and offer for Baker Mayfield in there as well. And then it's hard to it's hard to see that sort of deal coming to fruition for Cleveland considering some pretty serious rumors that were out there that the Jets even offered a first round pick, but that trade was denied. So I just don't know about Cleveland's ammunition to pull a trade for Metcalf if he's seriously on the market as it appears to be Metcalf saying he's not on the market, but continually rumors floating out there that he is. Debo Samuel has taken down all of his um, 49ers references, I mean, like the, the Instagram and all of that, all the pictures from the 49ers. It seems to be a popular move to get more money if you're on a rookie contract and you're a breakout star. I'm sure Justin Jefferson isn't too far behind in Minnesota. These guys want paid, totally get it, they're stars and there's going to continue to be rumors of this because some teams cannot fit high high volume uh, talent like this at wide receiver they get paid so much money Stefan Diggs gets a deal that's up over 104 million if it all came to fruition I think his was more like a two-year 48 million guaranteed with another team option for two more years kind of built into that but Again, an indication of what it's going to take to keep a guy around at the wide receiver position, and we all know that Brandon Cooks got his extension that put him in the eighteen to twenty million range. We'll see what over the cap tells us, and we'll see what Jack Duffin with the OBR here gives us as far as insights go on that deal. But it never really felt like the Browns were going to meet what the the, the price seemed to hint a second or third round pick for Cooks. Always thought that was hard to see because Cooks is twenty nine this upcoming season you know, not that he's getting worse or anything, it's just he's an older player and was going to need a new deal, and it just felt like a trade like that to then extend that player was always going to be a challenge. You know, the difference between Cooks and Amari Cooper was obviously that Cooper's deal was already in place, the $20 million flat for three years, with, you know, team built in, uh, get out of the contract without dead cap situations, so that made him an easier trade in that regard. Cooks, obviously the the uncertainty of a new deal and what that could bring and whether you could work that deal out with him. I always thought he made more sense to Houston to keep around as far as a player who could help Davis Mills figure out, at least help Houston figure out if Davis Mills was worth the long term investment, because they seem hell bent on doing that, um, seeing as how they have not brought in any other serious quarterback competition when they had a clear opportunity to do so with Baker Mayfield. So you know, it's, to me, fairly obvious that a Cooks deal wasn't going to get done. So Jarvis Landry becomes full focus again. To me, there's more appealing options there. Will Fuller's more appealing, Emmanuel Sanders more appealing, and somebody like Keelan Cole at even cheaper price point more appealing. I'm heavily looking into slot receivers because the Browns are going to need slot talent. I mean, they have a Z, they have an X, and then it's like, okay, between Schwartz and Jakeem Grant, like, I don't want either of those guys seeing significant time. So somebody like Keelan Cole and then a draft pick, either 44 or 78, make a ton of sense to me. So we're going to talk with uh, our guest today, which I'm pretty excited about. Does a fantastic job on outside-the-box prospect thinking. We've talked with Matt Waldman here, who we have coming on many, many times. And I do like that he challenges he challenges the mainstream thought process and I think that you have to when you study prospects get other perspectives other than those who just agree all the time with similar takes so I'm excited to have Matt on he's going to talk about some players that we have not discussed enough and I always value that perspective because we need to talk about those players because every draft comes every draft goes and there's always misconceptions and what a player has been graded as by the mainstream draft evaluators and people who kind of gather to talk about these things on social and where these guys are actually picked. And it goes both ways. Guys who are overvalued by social media scouts, undervalued by the NFL, and vice versa. So let's get over to that chat with Matt, who I think, like I said, brings some great insights to the table
1: here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: Okay, excited man edition of great, great scouting insights. I've got a fantastic guest here, Matt Waldman. You know him on Twitter as, well, at Matt Waldman. And you need to be paying attention to the rookie scouting portfolio that he has put out his, uh, his pre-draft guide, man, it's ready for download, and you should download it because it's fantastic. It's one of the best on the market, year in, year out. And I'm pumped to have Matt spend some time with us and and talk about a bevy of different draft topics. What's up, Matt? How are you?
2: Man, I'm doing great, Jake. Anytime that you can you, you can put out a product like I do and have people buy it and people enjoy the enjoy the work and then get to talk about it. I'm just tremendously grateful that I get to do this and then chop it up with someone who's such a good analyst like yourself. And I admire seeing the work that you do and that you put out there, you know, on your side and social media.
0: I appreciate that, Matt, you know, you know, the immense amount of respect that I have for you and what you do. And, and uh, you know, when I'm looking at trying to provide the people who listen to this podcast with, analysis of many things you're the first person that comes to mind and that's why we've chopped it up on baker and many other pertinent browns topics over this time i i will say i w- I want to ask uh, just one question about the the quarterback thing here before we start is the deshaun watson the quarterback where are you on him do, do you like that fit for what cleveland can do
2: yeah and i'm just going to leave it to on the field so on the field i look at it this way um Deshaun Watson's ability to move around in the pocket, his ability to create with his legs, and his deep, vert- his vertical passing are all really nice for what Cleveland does because it's it's going to make the most of the ground game. And while he's not a high RPM thrower on like the timing routes on the perimeter, neither is Lamar Jackson. And the, the but the thing I would say is that both those guys do a great job of creating and also creating problems. So if you have receivers that can work the middle of the field, who can work, um, you know, the deep perimeter routes and you can work off play action. And of course you have the ground game to do it there. um, You know, on paper, there's a lot to like about that.
0: Yeah. Good stuff. Wanted your opinion. I thought we would think about that pretty similarly and shocker similar. It is. So, Listen, I want to I want to start with the guys at the top of the draft. I know it doesn't pertain to Cleveland, but I always like in these drafts, even if Cleveland did have pick pick thirteen or fourteen or whatever, I would have asked you the same question anyway. Who who are your first round guys that you would really believe are going to be, maybe not call them blue chip guys, but guys that you think are going to be really really good NFL players? I
2: the first guy that I, that comes to mind for me is Chris Olave Alave, Alave um, out of Ohio State. I'm He's my top receiver on the board, um, and I love how smooth of a route runner is he is. His tracking is advanced, and what I mean by that is that when he has defenders converging on him on a route where he's breaking over the middle, he can make the quick calculation to decide whether to attack the ball early or to wait a little longer because he understands – very he inherently understands the angles of the defender's approach to know that maybe he needs to wait for a later window so that he can make an maybe a tougher adjustment to the ball, but an easier catch once the ball arrives, as opposed to having to take contact or open the ball up to the defender. Um, I think he's a he and Garrett Wilson are both fine prospects, but I think Olave is a more a f- efficient player at the line of scrimmage, in his stems, in his breaks. And after the catch, and um, Wilson has more upside in certain areas in terms of athletic ability. But for me, I want the guy who, when I'm thinking about you know who's going to get it done and understands how to do it um, in the most op efficient way. And the fact that athletically they're not that far apart, if you ask me, um, I like Olave. I think he can play all three positions. So he's he's one of those guys I like at the top. I'm a big Drake London fan. I know that he's not your traditional um, outside receiver maybe who has great speed that people go nuts for. But, you know, I like to look at it this way because I think it's very important for people to have a little bit of perspective about some of these players. And when we look back on past draft classes, you know, speedsters get a lot of top billing you know, Marquise Brown, Henry Ruggs, John Ross, Corey Coleman, Will Fuller. They all went before guys like Michael Thomas, Juju Smith-Schuster, Mike Williams, Cooper Cup, Christian Kirk, Cortland Sutton. A.J. Brown's a speedster, but, you know, he and Debo are speedsters. But, you know, again, maybe not your classic speedster. C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, all those guys went after the the, the, the smaller speedsters. And the guy that London reminds me a lot of is T. Higgins. I think that he can play inside and outside. He is very physical at the catch point. He runs good enough routes. He's sudden enough with his routes to be a timing route guy. Um, He's very strong after the catch. He's a good blocker. I can see him being kind of like Juju Smith-Schuster, who works inside and outside for a team based on where they want the matchups to be. So while he may not be, you know, a uh, uh, out of the box franchise caliber guy, I think he's capable of giving you that one thousand to thirteen hundred yard seasons with seven to nine touchdowns on a fairly regular basis once he gets rolling. And if he's on a team surrounded with a lot of talent, he could have even higher peaks than that. Um, you know, at running back, I I feel I really like. Brees Hall, and he's my top back, but I have to say, if I was going to just say, look, there's something about Brees Hall where he just makes it look so easy at times, and there are some little lapses with his game where I think he has higher upside than Kenneth Walker, but lower a lower floor. I would say the safest pick of those first three backs everybody talks about is Kenneth Walker, and and he reminds me of a mix of Backs that probably that are that I was kind of um, comparing in the past too, which is J.K. Dobbins and Ray Rice. He's kind of that short, but not small, very quick, um, can carry the load all day for you. Very patient, excellent footwork, catches the ball but well enough, even though the the quantity isn't there. Has some promises of pass protector. And I think he can run in any scheme. If you need him in gap, he can run gap. He's got the explosiveness to do it. Zone, he's a very patient zone runner, and he's a good tight crease runner, and he runs well with duo. And duo is a tough blocking scheme to run with. And with his size, he's pretty good at that. So I could see how maybe Tampa Bay says, maybe we get take a chance on Kenneth Walker, you know, as uh, if he's still there. To, to get an opportunity on him. So he's a guy that I like. And then from the tight end position, I mean, Trey McBride, he may not be as, he he's in the tier of like Pat Friermuth. And I love Pat Fryermuth coming out. So he's not as good of a blocker as Fryermuth was, um, but he's a more explosive receiver than Fryermuth, And he does have the catch point toughness. And I just really love... How he runs in the open field because he's a tough runner who will, you know, kind of hammer you, hammer you like a nail at the end of runs when he has a chance. But he also has really great body awareness and the ability to get his feet high and his knees high is to avoid low shots because he knows that no defensive back is going to try and wrap him high and win. So they're always going to shoot low. And the fact that he makes people miss and breaks tackles that you might not expect for. The way he, his gait is, you almost think he's like a kind of a top heavy bruiser, but he's um, far more nimble than you would expect. So, you know, at the top of the board, like first round guys, those are the ones that I have the most confidence in, um, right off the bat.
0: So let me ask you this, uh, as it pertains to the backs, because, you know, it's no secret I bring you on to talk running backs every time because I value your insight on them like crazy. Do you think? Do you think there's a first round guy in this group? Do you do you feel like that's going to happen or not?
2: I don't think the demand is high enough for for that to happen this year. So there's a really rich class, if you ask me. Like maybe not like top heavy and star power, but there's enough guys here that I think that can be starters or good lead backs for three to four years at least. And Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker, if the demand were right, deserve would would have done enough to earn a first round pick in my mind. Um, but I don't think either of those will happen because a team like Atlanta, who needs a running back, may decide we can get them in the early second and still and still be in in pretty good shape there. And then maybe they pick other needs. Um, so I would bet on maybe one getting the first round pick. But I, but I don't think we're going to see more than one. And that's a, and to me, that's even a bit of a stretch.
0: Gotcha. Good stuff. I'll ask to to kind of switch to the Browns now, 44 and 78 here. We're, we're definitely, there's enough time still between now and the draft that the Browns could address some of these things to alleviate some issues. I think safety, a third safety is a lingering one because we're not sure how they feel about Richard LeCount, the kid they took out of Georgia last year. Yeah. but but yeah, I'm curious, guys. You have studied that you've thought, man. That guy would fit really well with Stefanski, or you know, on the contrary, with 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 what Joe Woods likes to do defensively. Is there is there a group of guys or some names that come to mind that have percolated that have been of interest to you?
2: Yeah, certainly. Because when from the offensive side, I'll say this is that, um, offensively, you have Amari Cooper, so you already have your deep threat on the perimeter that can be helpful. For you And a guy who can run good timing routes on the shallow perimeter and inside, you know, dig routes, things like that, and can move around for you. But it would be also nice to have a more of a contested catch guy who can do maybe do a little more for you than even Donovan Peoples-Jones can, and might also be good enough to assume the Cooper role once Cooper's contract ends. Um, And as he's getting a little bit on the old, you know, older, he's not old yet, but you know what I mean? Like in a few years, people will be looking at that, that happening. So at that range, either one of those picks, I think of someone like Christian Watson as a bet on youth who you could probably use right away. The kid from North Dakota state as maybe, um, you know, in, in situational usage where he has the ability to, he has the ability to win um on the perimeter. He's a very good runner after the catch, which makes him he's and he has that athletic ability, that high end athletic ability um to to really be a game breaker in the open field and on deep shots where he get those matchup advantages because of the fact that they can Amari Cooper will occupy outside and Joku can occupy a little bit. Same with, you know, you can create enough binds with the other veterans. And then he, to me, at 6'4", 208, looks like he has the frame to add another 10 to 12 pounds of muscle. And if he does that, you're looking at like a Javon Walker type of player, if anybody remembers him, um, in the brief moments where he was really strong. And I think that he could give you that kind of, upside. Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati. Um, listen, he's, he jumps, he jumps about three and a half inches more than Justin Jefferson. He's about the same speed. Um, maybe a little quicker. Um, and he goes up and wins the ball and he's a fine blocker. Like he's the type of guy you can, you can line up on a, on a twins, you know, twin receiver side on the inside or, or bunch tight to the tight end and help out with an off ball linebacker and he'll do that for you. And I think there's more that he can gain as a re, as a um route runner that will help him out a lot. So, those are two guys that I think might be there and then I think if you go with the defender earlier on and you want to wait till 70 what was it? 78 that the Browns have or 74? It's 78. Uh, 78. Yeah, then the guy that I would just take the if the medicals looked good to you with the cervical fusion surgery that Justin Ross had um, a Steelers writer, Nick Martin emailed me after he saw one of my um, after he saw one of my um, videos on Justin Ross. And he said, and I thought it was such a app comparison because Nick said, I think Justin Ross is the Nick Chubb of this draft class. And, wow. and I loved how he stated it because he just said, you were, you're talking, you're, he was looking at my video and, and how I was saying, I don't really see much difference between pre- and post-injury Ross. Um, The only instances that I saw an issue were with some of his in and out of cuts, he seemed a little slower, seemed a little slower in the open field, didn't seem as explosive with his cuts. And I, But it was hard to tell whether he was having balance issues or what it was. And then you come to find out a few months later that he was playing on a Jones fracture the entire year. So that Jones fracture, people aren't aware, is that bone that runs along the pinky toe all the way down the side of your foot. And he he had a stress fracture of that to begin the year and has been getting shot up with Toradol every game until late November when the season was over and he got surgery. And that surgery takes six to eight weeks of immobilization before you're ready to start resuming activity and so he had that surgery and you know he further screwed up that that foot playing on it you know and you know that all shot probably wore off by early third or mid third quarter so he probably didn't look as explosive in and out of cuts probably couldn't cut off of it well couldn't explode in and out of breaks the way that you would expect so that made sense and then you, you think about those six to eight weeks being immobile, mobile where, say a Christian Watson after November, November, or let's say, you know, let's give another guy as an example. um, Like, yeah, like, well, we'll go with him, you know, with Watson or Pierce, you know, they've been relatively healthy. So they've had about 10 to 12 weeks to prepare for the combine and game the system. Like they all do to run the fastest times and, and, and work on that. Justin Ross had half the time. And for, the other half, he was immobile, so that he meant he was working from a deficit to get to the point that he ran a four five six forty. So I asked a uh, an NFL contact of mine who has a very strong he has a scouting background, but he has a very strong biomechanics background, and I said, "Am I just making up a narrative when I give this explanation that I'm giving and saying that Justin Ross is quicker and faster than his?" 31 and inch vertical and four, five, six, forty, because he looked great as a freshman and with Trevor Lawrence before he had to miss 2020. And he said to me, I would be very surprised if Justin Ross was a fraction of what he could be coming off of that surgery um on his foot and and doing the combine. So to me, if you can get Justin Ross at pick 78 and know that he doesn't have to be whole this year but you, but if he is it's a pleasant surprise and he can work as the foil to Amari um Cooper and he's the type of player that is a contested catch winner that's what he does well and and Justin and, and excuse me and just and um Deshaun Watson what he needs is a guy like uh, a DeAndre Hopkins type who can go up and win the ball well and make those types of plays. Cause it's not going to be the, the high velocity throws that. And so giving somebody, him like Ross who can work open for you has the enough deep speed. I think more than what his time suggests, I could see the Browns taking him and we finding out in August that it's like, Oh, he's a lot more explosive than we even thought. Yeah. And, and due to the fact that the surgery inhibited that and that he was working back from a negative as opposed to working from a baseline. And so, and at worst to me, he's a a, a Hakeem Nix type of player if he doesn't have that much more explosion, um, which is still pretty darn good and and would still be a great fit with the Deshaun Watson, a, a Hakeem Nix in his prime. So that's that's someone that I would love to see in Cleveland, in that in that respect, because he can, you can move him around a little bit. There's more upside to his game than than what I think is suggested. And there was a time that I think before, you know, the people who do the draft where they follow what draft capital might be are naturally going to lower lower Ross because they're following what GMs are thinking and they're thinking about the injuries and the lack of production due to the injuries and the the loss of Trevor Lawrence. As opposed to what is then opposed to purely what does the film tell us? Because the film tells us this is a guy that you should be considering as a first or second round pick, not a uh, a fourth or fifth round pick or a sixth round pick, um, unless the unless the cervical spinal f- fusion injury that he had, um, not or surgery that he had to due, due to a congenital adi- um, condition. There's more risk than meets the eye with that, but I don't think I don't think that's the case. so um i'm I'm very bullish on Ross,
0: yeah. We've had a lot of people talk about Sky Moore and Pickens and many other people. so I, I love that you're giving that perspective on Ross because nobody has done that. I mean, for the for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned there at the end, but I'm glad that listeners of this pod get a feel for for this the, the ability that you believe he has, you know whether the injuries are a factor or whatever. Kind of honing in on what he was, and reasons why he kind of was still struggling post combat. I mean, there's it's all very clearly laid out there. So I love that. So, listen, I'm running out of time with you here. I want to ask one. Uh, this is hard because I'm, I'm asking for one name, and you have probably 15 of them. But give me one running back that if Cleveland spent a pick in the 200s, they wanted to kind maybe they wanted to move Dearness Johnson after the draft. They need a third back. Would like to take that type of guy. Is there a late back that you like, one late back for Cleveland that you would have your eye on?
2: I do. I have two, but I'm gonna. I'm just going to name one quickly that I think will go earlier, and that's Kennedy Brooks of Oklahoma. Mm. But the guy that I would really focus on for Cleveland, because I don't think Kennedy Brooks will be there, but if he is, that's the guy. The guy right after him is Keontae Ingram of USC, the former five-star Texas prospect, who basically got in the way of the Bijan Robinson train and had to transfer to USC? And he has all the skills and upside to become a significant contributor, if not a lead back. He has great short area quickness. He's 221. He doesn't have top end speed, but 4.5.3 is not shabby in the NFL. And he has that solution oriented skill to be efficient as well as being dynamic in terms of moving away from defenders and being able to anticipate penetration and understand where the cutback lanes are. He runs with power and contact balance. He runs with burst. And he reminds me, uh, on the low end, he reminds me of Chris Ivory, the former Saint, Jet, Buffalo, Billback, who just couldn't stay healthy, um, and mm. but had a little bit of that Marshawn Lynch starter kit to him. On the high end though, I'm not gonna say Marshawn Lynch, the guy he reminded me on the high end because he can catch the ball well and there's just something in terms of his his shake and his move and his and the his gait and the way that he um he can run for power at the end, he reminds me of Kareem Hunt a little bit. So he's kind of an aspirational Kareem Hunt. So it seems to me natural fit as a guy that you, you wouldn't mind putting in there behind um you, you know as your third back so that you have some redundancy in, in place in Cleveland.
0: Keontae Ingram. You guys heard it here. I've heard one other person bring up Keontae Ingram, but not not many. That's why we have Matt on, giving you unique perspectives on this that are not built on piggybacking on other people's opinions. And that's, listen, that's why I think he's one of the absolute must-read people covering not only the draft, but any NFL content, because it's not follower-based content. It's here's what I think, what I believe. And even if it goes against the masses, that's why I love it. Matt, dude, thank you so, so much. I know fans of this show appreciate your insights every time we can get a man. Thank you.
2: Hey, thank you, Jake. It's my pleasure. And thanks for the, everybody who listens in who who feels that way. I I, I appreciate you, especially when it's our team. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in today, and appreciate Matt for taking his time on a Thursday night
0: to record with me, get out in front of some things. Originally it was going to be a weekend edition. Um, things kind of fell apart here with John Colisimo for our Friday usual podcast. Microphone wasn't connecting. Again, adjust on the fly, hoping to get together with John tomorrow for a Saturday release. So if you're usually into that, Fridays with John Colisimo, that will be a Saturday release for you, so make sure you check that out. Otherwise, on the website, some great stuff on defensive end content. Going to have a a Miles Garrett versus T.J. Watt. Where that debate sits, that will be up tomorrow. Um, Starting a a concept, 20 prospects in 20 days. Looking at 20 prospects for your Cleveland Browns. That makes sense. Maybe under-discussed, maybe over-discussed. Everything in between. Letting some of the writers on staff pick their guys. We'll start with Josh Pascal tomorrow from Kentucky. So make sure you check out that 20 and 20 that we're doing leading up to the NFL draft, which is, if you're listening to this on Friday, just 20 days away. So thanks for tuning in today, guys, supporting the OBR Twitch website and this podcast. You're the best. Have a great Friday. Be well and go Browns.